It's become clear through the years of the dissemination of the teachings of the Buddha and many wisdom traditions in the West that there is a shortage of female voices that are um, that are um, heard in the in the teachings and since I shared this practice tonight this guided practice of the just resting in the sky-like nature of the mind I thought of the teachings of a nun named uh, Naguma and I don't even know when she lived but I think it was a long time ago and she had a passage entitled The Natural Abiding. She says, Don't do anything whatsoever with the mind. Abide in, a, in an authentic, natural state. One's own mind, unwavering, is reality. The key is to meditate like this without wavering. Experience the great reality beyond extremes. In a pellucid ocean, bubbles rise and dissolve again. Just so, thoughts are no different from ultimate reality. So don't find fault. Remain at ease. Whatever arises, whatever occurs, don't grasp. Release it on the spot. Appearances, sounds, and objects are one's own mind. There's nothing except mind. Mind is beyond the extremes of birth and death. The nature of mind, awareness. Although using the objects of the five senses does not wander from reality. In the state of cosmic equilibrium, there is nothing to abandon or practice. No meditation or post-meditation, just this. What she's pointing to, as you could say it a thousand different ways, is, is that your own mind, the nature of your own mind, is, is the Buddha, is awake, is the and that all the objects of the of the senses are not separate from this uh, from this nature of mind, from the ultimate. So we tend to separate all the stuff of our mind and the confusion and the grief and whatever it is. We somehow think, oh, if I'm experiencing this, I'm not. Uh, I'm missing. I'm not experiencing the nature of mind. But from the from the vantage point of, of simply being aware, even, even depression or whatever it is that presents itself in your mind is, is inseparable from that nature of mind. So that we don't need to find fault with it. We don't need to do anything about it in terms of, in terms of our awareness, in terms of seeing what its, its essence, its nature is. What she doesn't say in this is that she does say to let it go, to let it be. Don't do anything with it. And that means what she's, the subtext of that is don't become identified with it. 
Don't get lost in it. Don't become absorbed. Don't believe what your mind tells you as the uh, uh, view that you have of your mind. Don't believe that it's ultimate truth. As a, a poem that I was thinking about reading tonight, one that I read a lot from, from Hafez called Cast All Your Votes for Dancing, he says, although the... I might as well get it so I don't ruin it. He says, I know that the voice of depression still calls to you. And we all have a whole series of anxious, depressed, contracted thoughts, limiting, shameful. He says, I know that the voice of depression still calls to you. I know that those habits that can ruin your life still send their invitations. But you are with the friend now. This is, what he, this is the way he puts it. When you are with the friend, that means you are sitting in your natural state. You're aware. You can see that the voice of depression is Mara. Mara is the personification of all those voices that tell you that you're somehow not enough, insufficient, can't make it. All those notions that you have that are simply thoughts. They're views. They are, in some ways, insults to what, what your immediate and direct experience is. They, they paint a picture of lack, of, of an imagined future that, that looks bleak or um, a regretful past. All of it a, a fabrication of your mind. A, and these voices keep sending their invitations. That's what, that's what minds do. For a variety of reasons, we could deconstruct the whole thing tonight again, but mostly I wanted to point out the difference between the thoughts that you have about yourself and the feelings that go with those and that natural reality. Now, that in seeing the difference between the thoughts that we have about ourselves and natural reality, if we really saw that difference, then we would see that those thoughts are not separate from the natural reality. They're just, just appearances. They're, so a thought is to our, our door of perception of mind, as a sound is to the ear, as a smell is to the nose, as a taste of the tongue. All of it part of the vast nature of our own mind. It's all just, um, it's just the dance of consciousness. Inseparable. But if we don't know, understand everything as the dance of consciousness, we tend, to, we tend to get caught, get bound up in those little narratives, in those little stories about ourselves. And then we wander. We wander in those, the world of our imagination and our memories and our worries and plans and often lose contact, lose contact with this natural mind that the nun Naguma speaks of. So it is a key point of our practice, not just as Sogyal Rinpoche says, to, to the purpose of practice is to realize the sky-like nature of mind and return us to that which we really are. That is the, that's the essence of it, but it's also to see the difference between that, that Dharma essence, that sky-like nature, and all the, the confused, deluded notions that we have about ourselves. 
even though that voice of depression, that voice of anxiety, that voice of worry seems so compelling, and it must be honored, acknowledged, and, and worked with, it still is a, it presents a false picture of your true nature. It's a second-hand version of you. And our practice is to wake up to that. As I've been saying over and over the last few weeks, the point of our practice is to be able to notice what our mind is doing and not, not act out of what our mind is saying. When we act out of what our mind is saying, we, we, stop, we stop doing our life. We stop living. We stop sharing. We stop loving. We, we're just acting out of a, of a view that there's something wrong. And there's something wrong with me. And yet, when we taste a little bit of that natural mind, as maybe you did tonight, that open mind that's just, just aware, uncaused, uncreated, everything arising, vanishing, in that simple aware presence, it is impossible to find any evidence for for um, what we usually say to ourselves about ourselves. We don't even, in that openness, we don't even, we don't even have evidence for being a person. We don't have evidence for being a man or a woman. We don't have evidence for our roles. We don't have, ev- we don't even have evidence of our, of our, um, of our family history, or our religion, or anything. This is why Hafez says, I've learned so much from the divine, from resting in that natural mind. He says that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth has shared itself with me to such an extent that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended me so completely It has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. So the invitation of our practice is to move in the direction of, which not really to move, but to step out of the the conceptual thought versions of ourselves and to taste ourselves directly, to not think about ourselves but to know ourselves directly. We know about ourselves. We have our stories down. And they're beautiful. I love each person's story. We have that part down. But as far as our direct experience, we're, we, we are not so attuned to that. And this is why we practice. To see what our experience is just now on present evidence. This is never, it's in never to deny our story, our history, or our struggles, or our, our issues, our to-do lists, our plans, our regrets. It's not to deny any of that, but it's to balance our personal story, our personal situation with not just balance, but liberate ourselves from, from living within the limits of that, of those different views and to feel the limitlessness of direct experience. What can you say about yourself right now, just now, on present evidence? 
How do you define yourself when you do not view yourself from through the prism or through the lens of memory? What can you what do you experience? Because the 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 chronic view is is some lack. I'm not good enough. Life isn't good enough. Or everyone is better. Or everyone has more. Or I should have less. There are those who are bound in that way. This is a story. And it starts with the word. It's just a word, too, which is amazing. It starts with the word I. It's a very important word, and it's a wonderful way. I is a beautiful way of locating our individuality. Just say the word I for a moment. It's beautiful. Just feel your sense of I-ness. It's cool. Because it's so different than you. You is kind of disconnected. You, you, you. You know how people... You know, you know. <laughs> there is a tendency to to speak in generalities. I hear athletes all the time when they're interviewed. You know when you do this and you do that, as though it, everyone does it. There's a kind of disconnect. It's a very different different experience when somebody says, when I do that, they locate themselves right here. But we don't often stick with just the pure sense of I, I am, just the beingness of it. That I moves on to I am, what's the next one? I am so-and-so. So that's, we're We go right into the world of memory. We have to call on our memory to remember our name, where we came from. And then our mind moves on to, I am so-and-so, and and I am, I am, and then our story gets elaborated. But often the story evolves into, I am struggling. I am dissatisfied. Any of you relate to this story? I am insufficient. I am stuck. That's a big one. I'm in transition. Any of you ever have that one? I have a big issue. You know, we all have a big issue. A lot of identity is built around the the big issue. And yet, there's not a person here that can find whatever that is in, on present evidence, immediate, just now. So if I am stuck, or whatever version of, of lack or confusion or anything, if, if that becomes the narrative of my mind and I don't recognize it as the as the display of my mind, I don't recognize it as just an expression of ultimate reality. Ah, the thinking mind thinking. I don't recognize it as the story of me. And I act out of that story of I'm not enough. I experience the world through that story, I'm, I'm, I'm not enough. 
my body, my mind contracts and I start to live in that alternate universe, that virtual universe of, of my personal story, my imagination. And the more I follow that, the tighter I get because the world of, of the I and the me and the mind that has, is a world of, that is a world of, of um, limitation, lack, it's also a world of, of time, it's also a world of insecurity, because it's all made up by ideas. And it's often these ideas are tied to our bodies. And our bodies are vulnerable. They're tied to our moods and they're always changing. Tied to our thoughts and they, they're as wild and chaotic as could be. So the more I follow the, the, the world of the imagined me the more I, I feel disconnected from the flow of life, feel a little off. So our practice allows us, instead of acting out of those views, to notice, oh, there's my mind creating me. There's my mind constructing an identity. And then we can actually, as we do often here at, over the many years at Mission Dharma, we, we can take a little thought like I'm not enough or I am somebody who's not enough, somebody who's struggling, that, that little story, and see what it's really made of and see what's, what's left when we, we find the source of that, that thought, when we see that thought for what it is. So we, our mind makes this idea, I am somebody who is struggling in some way with something in my life that's my story. Does anybody here not have a story similar? I sh- that's a better way of asking. So let's just take, I am somebody who is struggling. And so when I feel that, I, I feel that whatever my version is, and usually if I'm struggling, then I'm hoping that someday I, I end that struggle. And then, of course, if someday I'm going to end that struggle, then my the end of that struggle depends on getting from point A to point B. But there's always the possibility I might not get from point A to point B. And so my, my sense of whether I get to the end of the rainbow, it depends on, how, it depends on the, whether things work out in the future. And the more I think about that, how my sense of ending my struggle is going to happen some other time, the more anxious and depressed I get. I shut down because, I'm, because I've, I've just left. I've left here. I've, I've self-abandoned. I've abandoned the reality of the present moment and put all my marbles on an imagined future that never arrives because it's imaginary. I've lost touch. So what we do is we wake up out of that and see that our mind is doing that. I can see, ah, there is my mind constructing the future. And every time I do that, I get so anxious. My heart gets so tight and I'm, I'm worried. And then what I do to try to soothe that is I then I try to distract myself some way and I may take something to chill out 
Why, why do you think there's such a huge proliferation of anti-anxiety medication or alcohol or, or the, the consumption, the consumer machine that's just feeding us to keep us greedy to keep going? You know, it's just all the ways to numb out that feeling of having entered into a virtual reality of the imagined me. And every single person has their version of it, and every single person has, um, has their strategy for how to soothe it. And most of the strategies, most of the medicine, tends to increase the anxiety, increase the dis-ease. So instead, in our practice, we make that shift from just being caught in that, in that Samsara, that wheel of samsara, that wheel of constantly churning, constantly aiming for that time when I will end my struggle, that direction that our mind goes because we love ourselves and we want to end our struggle, instead of going out, we go back in. We look within the nature of our mind. We stop, we keep quiet. We realize slowly, slowly, what is our experience on present evidence just now. The first we find the residue of having, having run from, from this present, run from silence. We experience our body just frozen in, in having been abandoned been unattended um, to, feel the effect every time our mind leaps, ruminating about what's next, feel the tightness in our belly, the way that we've, been, we've put ourselves in a, in a state of suspended happiness, in a state of being hostage to how things turn out. And we just embrace that with the loving gaze of this natural mind, the loving gaze of attention. And we go, ouch, ooh, that hurts. That is so painful. And instead of distracting ourselves like, our, like the consumer, like the advertisers suggest that you do, or the pharmaceutical companies suggest that you do, instead, you, you use the medicine of your natural awareness the natural awareness that's imbued when it is open with mercy and kindness. How could you not attend, how could you not, how could it not break your heart to feel the pain that you're in? But if you're numbing yourself out, you never, you don't, you just don't, you don't feel that mercy. You just keep running from silence. So instead we cut our bargaining. We don't come back here. In or, we, don't, we don't just keep running. We don't even meditate in order to get somewhere. We meditate to open to what's true. And as Krishnamurti says, it is the truth that liberates, not our effort to be free. It is whatever, can, whatever we can do to open to the truth. So from that vantage point of natural awareness, 
sky-like nature of the mind, the open-heartedness, we can see, oh, I'm stuck and struggling and I can't get where I want to go. We see that that's a little thought in our mind and we begin to slowly, slowly see what that thought is made of and we start, we start winding it back to its source. We say, I'm struggling. I, I, want to, I want to end my struggle. We remove the word struggle or we remove the I'm not enough. We, we remove the enough. We remove the not. We're left once again with the sense of I am. We just keep bringing it back here. And what we're left with is I am. I am. Now, as soon as any of us comes back to I am, 99% of our problems have just vanished. As my teacher Punjaji said, you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. The boulders of these I thoughts rest on your chest and impede your life and freedom. He says, look, see what the source of these thoughts are. And so you keep winding it back. You're left with the feeling of the sense, I am. We're still using those words, I am, and already feel so much better. And then we, just for the sake of, of exploration, because we're all curious, I think, I think I can speak for everyone, we then take off the word am, and we're left with I again, and then just to see what we really are, we for a moment, knowing we can always pick it up again, we remove the word I. Remove the I. And then we discover what and who we are on present evidence. Free of memory, hope, expectation, free of concepts. Just for a moment, And literally, in that moment, 100% of our problems have vanished, at least for a moment. No evidence for our suffering, no evidence for the sufferer. Just pure presence, pure awareness. Free, open, welcoming. From a Tibetan text, when left to itself, 
ordinary mind is fresh and naked. If observed, it is a vivid clarity without anything to see, a direct awareness, sharp and awake. Possessing no existence, it is empty and pure, a clear openness of luminosity and emptiness. It is not permanent since it does not exist at all. It is not nothingness since it is vividly clear and awake. It is not oneness since many things are cognized and known. It is not plurality since the many things known are inseparable in one taste. It is not somewhere else, it is your own awareness itself. The face of this primordial protector dwelling in your heart can be directly perceived in this very instant. Never be separated from it, children of my heart. If you want to find something greater than this in another place, it is like going off searching for footprints, although the elephant is right there. You may scan the entire 3,000-fold universe, but it is impossible that you will find more than the mere name of Buddha. So I read you once again the nun Nguma. Don't do anything whatsoever with the mind. Abide in an authentic, natural state. One's own mind unwavering is reality. The key is to meditate like this without wavering. Experience the great reality beyond extremes. In a pellucid ocean, bubbles rise and dissolve again. Just so, thoughts are no different from ultimate reality. So don't find fault. Remain at ease. Whatever arises, whatever occurs, don't grasp, release it on the spot. Appearances, sounds, objects are one's own mind. There's nothing except mind. Mind is beyond the extremes of birth and death. The nature of mind awareness, although using the objects of the five senses, does not wander from reality. In the state of cosmic equilibrium, There is nothing to abandon or practice. No meditation or post-meditation, just this. So this is what this is. Anything I say about it can't capture what being simply present is. But it sure is different than the story that you tell yourself about yourself. And this is reality. The story is secondhand. As James J. Audubon put it, if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guidebook says, believe the bird. <laughs> Who you are, as Emerson put it, Who you are shouts so loudly I can't hear what you say. So let's just rest in who we are beyond the extremes, beyond our concepts.
rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. Feel the sea of connection and love. Nothing separate. Everything intimately experienced as one taste, tata. Suchness. the isness of your own nature. It's deathless. May all beings realize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow. May all beings know peace, safety, health and strength. May all beings live with ease and may our practice today and every day, our practice of unwavering mindfulness, may our practice every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings so that all beings can realize for themselves their true nature, the sky-like nature of the mind. Thanks for listening. Forget everything I just said. Be present. Be kind. You'll catch more flies with honey this week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.